It's everyone's favorite show about all things Utah. A show where four hosts, and sometimes a guest, discuss whatever they want regarding Utah, and mostly stay on topic. It's the new Utah Podcast, with your hosts, Bree, Chris, Jeremy, and Jessica. Well, it's episode 236 of the new Utah Podcast. Um, it's coming at you live uh, the first week of December. Can't last believe it's already of, December. Last week of November. Yeah, all the other months went by super slow, and then this month was like, or November was like, gotcha. I thought from about mid-October on went pretty fast. But to be honest with you, it feels like we went on lockdown yesterday, and that was fucking nine months ago. We could have had a baby, a COVID baby by now. <laughs> I bet you there's a lot of COVID babies born. I don't have the parts. Yeah, yeah. You and I couldn't have had a COVID baby unless we adopted. So <laughs> could have adopted a COVID baby. And what if we named him COVID? Or oh, that's sad. We named the baby COVID. No. Hi, this is Co- this is little COVID precious. COVID. I bet you that some people did. Oh fuck yeah! Of course they did. It's like people try to name their fucking baby Hitler. Idiots. Um. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Thanksgiving. Who had a Thanksgiving? Did you guys go out of town? So, yeah, we went down to St. George, helped, okay. helped the in-laws put up their Christmas lights. Fuck you, Utah. But holy crap. So since we lived there, we, we know what places to avoid, what places to go to. So we really didn't have a problem with running into people per se. But I swear, yeah. no one wore masks. You know, it wasn't about you running into people. It was about you taking COVID down because you had your household. You had daughter that lives at the U, even though she's back at your house now. Right, but just as uh, just person. barely. Yeah. And her fiance. And, 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 and other daughter who lives in fucking BFE. O-Town. Yeah, with, with, her, with her boyfriend. All go down to St. George to the old people's house where, with the COVIDs. And probably, was it more than just her parents? Did, were there other family members? Oh, yeah. There, there were other family members. Her, I saw them in the pictures. Her brother. Okay. Other's brother. Is he in St. George or is he from up here too? Nephi. He's Nephi. Nephi. Okay. So you involved basically five households worth of people in one large gathering of to more kill than 15? My more than 15? 14. Okay. Oh, so it's, that's fine. You can't have COVID because yeah, it was less than 15. Good on you. It was less than 15. So there's no way anyone could have possibly spread COVID. That's you, right. You say that. As oh, no, no. I'm just giving you shit because right. I did the same <laughs> because thing. Because we went, went up Wyoming. to Wyoming. Now, my mom and my brother are around each other all the time. I'm not really concerned about them passing COVID around between their families because they live in the same town of 12,000. Um, I was actually more concerned about us taking it to them than anything. Because there's a little baby there and then his mom, so. I'm telling you, St. George is Trump land. Oh, they don't fucking care down there. Was, and they're one of the worst problems. It was just crazy. All of the Trumpers and the Trump flags and the, just like, I mean, I'm used to seeing them around here, but it was like everywhere. I, I still don't get the flag thing. Like, I don't. It, it's something that they pointed out that I hadn't really thought about this is the first president where that's that's really been a thing, like flags. Yeah, I never. Yeah, uh, memorabilia. Be like while he's still in, and it's because of all like the rallies and the like. That's people. what happens when a reality TV show star is the president. Yeah. Well, welcome to reality TV, folks. Let's not do that again, people. Okay. Well, we did Reagan. He was an awful. No, but Reagan was an actor, not a reality TV star. Reagan was a composed speaker because he was an actor. So he could fucking lie through his teeth and you wouldn't know it because he was a good actor. Trump is not that thing. (laughs) Trump can't fucking read a speech well. No. Or remember, you know, facts. (laughs) Anyway. (laughs) So anyway, yeah. That was my Thanksgiving. How about you, Jess? Uh, My Thanksgiving was canceled, so... I delivered a cake. 
Oh, I'm sorry to hear your Thanksgiving was canceled. It's okay. You didn't do anything with Ron? No, Ron was in Moab. <laughs> that son of a bitch. With his sisters. I have to have it. What about the other roommate? I don't know who it is. That that's the, that's the one that has like a rotating door. Is the third roommate or the second roommate? The second roommate. She has two upstairs. I, I don't what? have two upstairs. Oh, anymore. the one that moved out. Ryan. Ryan. That's the rotating room, right? That's like yeah, the one that's across from your room. They're both across from <laughs> my room. Oh, oh, there's two rooms across from your <laughs> yes. room. Yes. Yeah. How did I not figure that out? Because Ron mm-hmm. lives in the basement. Like that's just he does. But he's the one that doesn't leave. Like he's a permanent fixture. He's never moving out. Probably. You're gonna not. have to sell the house with him. Yeah, we it? talked about that. That's that's happening. But I will. No, I I had a like, I got an email on Wednesday night from my mom saying so. How about dinner at two? And by the way, your dad and I have been sick all week. And I said, Mom. <laughs> How about I, dinner I'm at not, two? We've been sick. <laughs> and she had just gotten tested on Wednesday. And so she didn't have her results back. And I said, yep. I'm sorry. I can't come have dinner with you. Yep. I, I would be in so. that same boat. I would 100% be in that boat. I was I was very actually worried about going to Wyoming. Um, I And, you know, my mom and my brother just don't give a shit. And I'm not worried about catching COVID from them because there's like four cases in Sweetwater. I look, there's not any cases in Sweetwater County, really. Um, there's some. There's just not really that many. And um, everyone knows the people who have COVID there, basically, because <laughs> there's like 40. And you're like, oh. Oh, he has COVID and his, his six family members, they're part, they're, they're seven of the 40. That's like one fourth of the 40. Right there. Like, so, I mean, it's, it's, it's much more controlled because there's no one there. Uh, and yeah, they don't fucking wear masks in rural Wyoming anywhere. They don't give a shit. Uh, and to be fair, we saw my brother and his wife and their kids and, and my mom and her husband was like the least amount of person that we saw. Uh, and that was it. We didn't see anyone else. No, we didn't. But if you, if you were, you're talking about households mixing. So Nishay was there, who is Daniel's daughter that yeah, doesn't she, live there. But she'd been there for a little while. Well, yeah, but it doesn't matter. She was there. She was from a different household and then your mom's household and then Daniel's household and then our household. Hey, stop making and me look like a bad technically, person. <laughs> technically, Daniel's stepdaughters well, and then our second thanks, they don't, they don't. Our second Thanksgiving, we in. had four households with five people. So yeah. Well, I went over to my cousin's house because I had four pounds of Brussels sprouts and two dozen <laughs> rolls. Mm. And I said, hey, can I bring over these rolls to your house so that you guys can have them for your dinner? Because mine was canceled. She's like, they're four days old at this point. And they <laughs> said, no, they were they were fresh fillings and emulsion rolls. Um, and they're like, why don't you just come have dinner with us? So, well, speaking of rolls, because I was thinking they were the used rolls from from the competition. No, I didn't keep any of those. So, did you participate in the churro competition? No, okay. I'm not a huge churro eater. Bree and I did, and, and I've I've had those churros before. They're good, but I'm just not a churro lover. And and Scotty and I, Scotty did it as well with his wife. Scotty's my food mistress. For those yes. of you that don't know, uh, and so after we we had both consumed and voted, we talked about it, and we w- we were both questioning the $45 but then when I look at it they gave us like 26 churros um, so we actually still have 13 sitting upstairs in the freezer um, and they actually baked really well they, they kind of got crispy and they were nice and, and warm and eggy so they give you the dough then and you baked them nope no, they're they already were, cooked they were baked we just warmed them they're off pre-cooked. Oh, but, just, they, oh, oh, oh. but they actually crisped up pretty nicely in the oven but I guess Scotty used his air, air fryer, fryer and he said and that, he was, a that was good but uh, it was really a competition on the filling and the the filling, the taste, the texture, and the the appearance. It was tough to judge some of them on appearance because it's a filling for a churro. 
I think, hands down, the Butterbeer was nope, the Nope, the one that won was the one I wanted to win, and it was the best. The Raspberry? Yep. And see, I think Raspberry was a very close second, but I thought the the flavor in the Butterbeer was just... But Scotty's better. wife was right. She mixed the chocolate and the Raspberry one? No, no. No? She mixed the Fluffernutter. The peanut oh, butter the Fluffernutter. Anyway, either one, I think, probably. So if when we finally thaw the other ones out and, and eat them, like, we're going to mix. But we, we, we kept them... Separated for the for the taste test. How big are the little bottles that they give you? A couple. Uh, I I don't think the bottles were probably enough to fill enough of the churros, because I don't think we'll have enough to fill like two more of each churro, which is kind of what it would be. Um, but that's okay. Uh, it was fun. It was fun. We looked at cost uh, and and getting just like a twelve pack of churros or a thirteen pack of churros because that's what they sell them in. It's like fifteen bucks or something. So you're not paying a whole lot extra for so the the six bottles of cream, thirty and, plus all the creams, yeah, plus their time and everything else. Like it, it, so, it is. I think actually, it was definitely worth yeah, it. Yeah, it was pretty. I mean, a little bit overpriced, but not overpriced when you consider like the whole thing. And it was fun. Together. It was a lot. So of what's fun. coming up next? Do you guys know what's next? Jess, no. Yes, but I yeah, don't they're remember. doing Christmas treats. Oh, that's right. Ah. Yeah, see, see, to me, and that's that's what I was struggling with when we talked to her. Like Christmas treats, it's hard to compare like a a Rice Krispie treat to a sugar cookie from different bakeries to a Christmas crack from something or, or a gingerbread. Like it's hard to compare those. Like if you're going to compare cookies, for example, it needs to be all chocolate chip cookie. Otherwise, there's too so much variation. So they're doing. So this kit is a peppermint brownie from Schmidt's. A chocolate chip cupcake with Oreo base and cookie dough frosting from Sweet Tooth Fairy. Cranberry orange bread from Great Harvest Draper. Peppermint sugar cookie from Chookie, uh, Chip Cookies. Um, Ruby Snaps Dottie, which is a chocolate cookie with peppermint frosting. And then dark chocolate peppermint fudge from um, Biscott's Cafe. And, and I'm not, How do you compare like, those? That's great, but there's so different in comparison. I can already right? tell you the winner. Ruby Snap. Yeah. I don't know, man. Fudge is really good. <laughs> but that's just it. Like, you're, you're taking a cookie and putting it up against a brownie or and fudge. And bread, yeah. Or bread. Like. And so then it's your preference. Because if you're a cookie person, then the cookies. But if you're a brownie person, then the brownies. Like, it's... At least they're not working with crumble. Because <laughs> <laughs> they least. would be last. <laughs> um, oh, but also, so if you want their... Probably going. To, I would assume they're going to be announcing their New Year's Eve one here in the next couple of weeks, and that one's going to be awesome. So, how do you think? Uh, how do you think? Um, you know, if a couple like Bri and I got the churros, or we get this this holiday dessert thing, how do you split that amicably when you get divorced? <laughs> like if you're in the middle of the divorce, you like <laughs> you go to mydivorce.com and let them decide. It, that's not a website that I know of. Ourdivorce.com. Our, our divorce.com. The website. My divorce. <laughs> yeah, you know. Well, well I you mean, know. you've had that, so that's right. How how did that go for you in comparison to our divorce? Jeremy? Well, Jeremy's divorce was not amicable at all. No, but it was a long time ago. Um, and what was that experience like? Twenty. For you? What was it? Twenty-one, twenty-two years ago. It was five grand. I paid five grand. Twenty-two my, years ago, my side of it was five grand. Five grand for your side, and assume she probably paid similar, about had, the same. I would had guess. a similar bill. Whether or not she paid it is a different yeah, question. But, uh, that, so it was th- horrible. So, so even twenty-two years ago, it was still close to ten grand combined to have a divorce. That's horrible, fucking long, messed up, drawn out, ugly. And I'm not saying your divorce would have been solved by OurDivorce.com. No, mine was unique enough that I don't think it would have helped me. But a lot of people, though. Well, like we talked about Bree's divorce and and honestly had had Dawn, her ex-husband, left it to the weird fucking attorney that wasn't a divorce attorney that his dad had gotten. Like, 
that was beginning to be a drawn out, pointless process because he was adding all this stupid shit. The only one that benefits from a long, drawn out process is the attorney. Is the attorney? Yeah, because I think that Don's dad actually did spend like two or three thousand dollars on his side. I I didn't. I I went with a family lawyer that specializes in this kind of stuff, and and and. Just on my own, though, I paid as much as our divorce is charging for, like, both. The whole thing. Yeah, yeah. So, so and, and just on my own, I with, paid this much. With your amicable divorce, you were actually the perfect person or the perfect couple. Exactly. To go through OurDivorce.com's process because, you know, it's amicable. It's 300 bucks. You guys agree. There was never really a fight between the two of you on anything. Uh, and so it was. it was very... You know, whether or not it was a shitty time, right? Definitely a shitty time, but it was absolutely amicable and it, it, uh, it pays dividends to have something like that available. So I'm, I'm still really happy to see that they're doing well. And well, and not only the money side of it, but if you do have kids involved in your, and you have, you know, a crappy divorce or an expensive divorce, um, you were talking about who it benefits the most, the attorneys. Well, who it hurts the most is the kids. Okay. It's not going to be a long show today, so I'm, I'm going to keep us moving uh, away from divorce and talk about... I, I need Jess's update on Real Housewives of Salt Lake City. <laughs> this will be a think, su- it'll be a super quick update. Oh, she's got I notes. don't think any of them are getting a divorce. I hope Mary does. No, I hope some Mary have does. been. Oh, so here we Heather go. was divorced, and that actually was the topic. This right. episode. See, so me. I'm that a was professional. amazing. That was very professional. I just wanted to make a comment about that because Heather was raised in the uh, in LDS community, and um, at at the beginning of this episode, she was with her friends, and they were talking about her divorce. And um, Jen, who's another one of the the gals on the show, just said like, why. Like, even, even though things were not well, you would have stayed. And, and Heather said a thousand percent because that is, um, and I don't remember the prophet who said it. It might have been Heber C. Kimball about that the, the woman's place is in the home to create a family. And she said that like a thousand percent she would have stayed no matter what. And I was just like, it made me a little bit emotional because I hate that she like felt that way. And, and Jen just, you know, said you have these, these beautiful daughters that, you know, you need to show that they don't have to like be in that situation. And I just thought that was a very interesting cultural thing to see on this show. Um, and then, um, at Mary's church, they went to Mary's church. So just so you know, it's on 15 South and Did like, you have to fuck Mary's grandpa too. No. Are you sure? Yes. I'm positive. That's I'm positive. So fucking messed up. I I can't get over it. I have no respect <laughs> for her. Um, it's Grandma very, but her husband, the church, the church is like, it's, so it's Pentecostal and it, it's like, it was, it was, it was awesome. Anyways, <laughs> uh, another part of that was cool of this episode is that they had a party at prohibition. Oh, nice. Um, oh, nice. and so it was really cool to see just that local business. Um, if you're listening and you want to know what prohibition is, it's a really cool club that you have to like have a secret password to, to uh, get through the the bookcase doors, (laughs) and it's just across. It's just north of Fashion Place Mall in Murray. But that is my lounge was prior. Yes, yes, that is true. So, um, new new update for you next week. (laughs) Excellent, excellent. So Mary's still fucking grandpa. Got it. That's all that really matters. That's all I heard out of all of that is Mary's <laughs> fucking grandpa. And I didn't even, I didn't even say that. Mary's fucking grandpa, and they're trying to hook up with the other chick, Heather, <laughs> who is now divorced. 
No, Heather didn't go to the church. Meredith oh, and Meredith. Whitney. Meredith and Whitney. Whitney took her wow, dad. Trying to get two. Are they like polygamists at this no. church? <laughs> no. It's Swingers. Pentecostal. Just fuck your grandpa. You're in. God, so fucking messed up. <laughs> I can't get over it. It's just the it's, only thing that I can ever think about. It's definitely a very unique situation. <laughs> so somebody on TikTok pointed out at the beginning of Grinch, when the Grinch is getting dropped off at the house, that they're having a key party. Oh, yeah. They're totally fucking. Oh, yeah. It's a swinger party for sure. Because they're dropping their keys in the bowl. and. Uh, okay. We were going to do some, maybe do some stuff on Utah Christmas, but I think we'll, we'll save that for another date because we have a really great guest coming up here. Uh, but I did want to touch on something. We didn't talk about it last week. I think it's, it made national news like all over the fucking place. It made international news. So in, in the Utah desert. So it was, I think it was central Utah. I don't know. They weren't specific. They were out, uh, doing like helicopter flyovers to it do. It looked Moabby in the pictures. Yeah, it is. Yeah, yeah I was going to say it looked, it looked Moabby. Um, like central Utah, <laughs> Moabby. Is that, a, I'm going to write Moabby. Maybe that's going to be our, our hashtag, show title. Hashtag Moabby. Moabby. It's like Downton Abbey, but not. Uh, anyway, there was a random weird. Without the bad teeth. A weird monolith that showed up. There's no bad teeth uh, in Downton Abbey. Yep. Whatever. They're all British. They're all bad teeth. They might look better. That's the post, that's post production. Uh, no, but a random weird, like, silver monolith showed up. Um, and it's not actually a monolith. That's what people are referring yeah, to it as. It, yeah. I'm not, I'm not going to get fucking technical when every news article in the world called it a monolith. Um, it's a, <laughs> a giant structure. It wasn't giant. It's like probably four and a half to five feet tall from the looks of the pictures with people standing near it. Um, they found this thing in this, like near a rock formation. Um, probably someone doing an art, like a Banksy style art installation. But there the, are a lot of theories, and my favorite one is that it was a leftover prop from a movie that was being filmed in that area. Well, see, I would think that, but what happened after? So it's gone. Yeah. Uh, there's a lot of excrement and garbage over there, and then it got replaced with like a little pyramid-looking uh, thing that was much smaller around some rocks. And like, I'm sure people just fucked that up, too, because people are idiots. Um, you know, it... it there was no place for, like, no permits for an art installation. You have to have permits to do stuff like that. It was on public land, on BLM land. Um, and then, of course, it's an attraction, and people are shitheads. And, you know, whether they didn't post, like, BLM didn't post where it was, but by posting a picture of it, it I mean, that's a pretty distinct formation place. So, one that was the, is the exact description of that one showed up in Romania. Yeah, yeah, I saw that. Today. Yeah. Yeah, it's aliens. It's the aliens. Well, and now there are people saying that they saw people come and remove it. And the the remove aliens it. are playing checkers. I'm so. not. I'm not saying it's aliens, but it's aliens. <laughs> you know how they survey highways and they have little markers in different spots. Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy, man. We've been on. We've been. It's been up for discussion for years. We just didn't know about it. They're going to fucking build an international byway right through the earth. <laughs> they're saying. They're saying one of the theories is it's from the set of 2001: A Space Odyssey. <laughs> Like a set prop. Like the new 2001 that they're remaking? Because that's just what they're Why saying. Why would you make 2001 A Space Odyssey in 2020? No, there is like an actual 
scene there there's a, a figure like that in the movie yeah uh, that's what they're saying it's a movie prop from them anyway it could have been who knows who gives a shit but it, it made in it like it made international fucking news that's why i'm talking <laughs> about it like they said the one in utah was 10 to 12 feet tall i'm just look can i tell you i'm just glad that this is making like front page news yeah in, we need something in, like this in the world and it's not like i it, it was like I mean, it's not the first article because that's still always fucking a picture of Trump or a picture of Biden right now. Um, and then COVID, COVID case counts is usually right underneath that. And then everything else. And this was at the top of the everything else for like four hours one day. Uh, and so, um, I'll take it. I'll take it. Like something <laughs> refreshing that's not fucked up. Like, and then of course, you know, the bad news is then it was fucked up because people are ass wipes and just destroyed public land. Like, oh, well, I had a burrito. Just fucking throw the wrapper on the ground by this monolith. I'll just take a shit over here by this rock because there's not a toilet right here because, you know, it's not supposed to be a fucking sightseeing place. Anyway, sorry. I'll get off my, <laughs> get off my soapbox. So with us, uh, this episode, because it's not, I mean, it's this evening, but that doesn't make sense. So, uh, Remia Fanaya. Did I say it right? Remia Fanayan. <laughs> I spelled it out phonetically and then I was trying to like read it because it definitely, that's not how I would say it normally. So well, Rimea, no worries. <laughs> I'm sure that's a common occurrence for you though. It certainly is. Yeah. It's not a common name here in Salt Lake City, Utah. I'll but tell you right, that. Because Chris messes up like normal names. So Yeah. I call people Steve that are not Steve. Okay. Well, I've had a, like an hour long conversation with someone and, and use their name multiple times. And and very end. End. Thank you, their Steve. name was Dave, by the way. <laughs> Thanks, Steve. <laughs> we won't get Ermaya wrong now. Okay. Now you know. Ramaya. E. Ermaya. Ermaya. See, I thought you said Ramaya. People typically don't hear E. Is it is it Persian? It is Persian. How did you know? I do my research, girl. Okay, awesome. <laughs> Chris's, Chris's boss is married to a Persian lady. Yeah, she's awesome. Medis is great. Oh, awesome. What, what part of the Persian Empire? The former Persian Empire? <laughs> I was born in Tehran, oh, okay. so I don't know. Okay. <laughs> Cannot tell you that. I need like an ancestry test. So you were you were born in Tehran? <laughs> I was. Mm-hmm. That's when, cool. When did you come to the U.S.? I came to the U.S. when I was um, a year old. Actually, mm-hmm. did so, you yeah. guys, you didn't come as a refugee or anything. We did actually. Oh, you did. Mm-hmm. Yeah, my family is fleeing uh, religious persecution, and that's why we came over. Not Muslim enough for them. Not Muslim enough. No. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, Iran is like Iran itself is not exactly a, a friendly place to non-Muslims. Yeah, no, certainly it's definitely not, and definitely the religion that my family practices, which is Baha'i, oh, it yeah. certainly wasn't. No, <laughs> no. <laughs> and yeah, my family would have gotten persecuted if we stayed. So yeah, and persecuted doesn't mean like shunned. <laughs> no, it means like like hung off a building. Yeah, yeah. like executed. Mm-hmm. Yep. <laughs> Or stoned, you yep. know, because that's a thing they do still. More yeah. in Saudi Arabia, I think, than Iran anymore. But are we live? Yeah. Okay, we're, we're recording. Okay, awesome. <laughs> I told you to ask me anything. <laughs> so, uh, when what, what what month were you born? Do you know? I was born May. In May, mm-hmm. August. So August. August. So your, that's your parents, when your parents were had sex, having sex in August. In August, yeah. awesome summer sex. <laughs> <laughs> Could I have mean, been a picnic or something. I don't picnic. know what the weather's like in Tehran in August. It's but. pretty warm. We have it's similar weather to Salt Lake. Yeah, it's pretty warm like year round there. Honestly, it snows. We have snow. Yeah, mm-hmm. up in the northern climates, like yeah. closer to the Himalayas. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's pretty cool too. So I think people forget that that like that part of the Middle East, like 
Pakistan, Afghanistan, they're like high desert like we are, like way up in the mountains, mm-hmm. very deserty. The best kind of desert. It is. It really is. Desert yeah. with seasons. Yeah. <laughs> desert with seasons and water. We do actually get water that makes at a times, difference but too. our water usually comes in the form of snow. So this is true. Uh, so you guys came when you were one. Where did you guys move to? Um, so we initially moved to San Diego, California, and um, I lived there until I was about nine. And then when I was nine, we came over here because of my dad's job. And I've been in Salt Lake City ever since. So, yeah. So what does your dad do? Um, my dad worked in the motel industry. Oh. Um, and my uncle owned motels here in Salt Lake City. He still owns motels. Um, and my dad worked for him. So that's what he did. Now my dad doesn't live in Salt Lake City, but I still do. I decided to stay. Um, so, yeah. I like Salt Lake. I'm not leaving. <laughs> so, wait. Let me... I got to ask this, though, because you're you're uh, an immigrant and really close to being a refugee. I don't know. Did you guys qualify for refugee status? We did. Mm-hmm. So yeah. you don't seem like a criminal. I'm not a criminal. You're, you're a Middle Eastern I, refugee. Yeah. <laughs> I'm just like, I mean, that's what we I like hear to all squash the time. stereotypes. I'm sure you, you that we would not have invited her into our home. Well, <laughs> we thought she was a You're not the first. I'm a communist, but not a criminal. <laughs> <laughs> well, we're all Marxists according to Burgess Owens. Well, so. see, I like this. Yeah. Awesome. He, yeah. you know, he. Um, I think he actually blocked me. So on Twitter. Oh well, he. That's a he thing was, now. He's, he's doing blocking to people. people. Yeah. He's Walking people well, on Twitter. We, we interviewed him. He you was did. Sitting, he sat right there. Right yeah, in that chair. And was that? He called you a Marxist here in your oh, room. Yeah. Yes, exactly. I, I don't, not unbeknownst to he him. He did though. not realize. <laughs> this, this is how stupid Burgess Owens is. And, I, and I'm happy to say he's an idiot because okay. he's a moron. He sat in here. On a podcast with extremely liberal folks, and we, I mean, we were very courteous. We weren't uh, argumentative yeah, necessarily. No. We were letting him talk about his story, um, and we stayed focused on his life story instead of you know, his politics. Awesome. Yeah. yeah. But every chance he got, he's like, "All liberals are socialists and Marxists," and I'm just having to bite my tongue, like, "Shut the fuck up or get out of my house." <laughs> yes. You're like, well, "Wait," and it's like, "Okay, it's true, but it's not negative." <laughs> wait, I need to know. So, do you know what you did that he like blocked you, or did he just go through and like block activists? Well, he also had an ad talking. One of his biggest ads that he played right for election day was coming after um, former Congressman Ben McAdams for funding trans surgeries or whatever. So he probably heard I was like a trans communist and was like, this is my worst nightmare. (laughs) I think the best part of that interview is when he said four years ago, Jesus brought us our savior, Trump. And we're all just like, well, you know, he drinks the (laughs) Kool-Aid. <laughs> anyway, it was you an interesting it. interview. I actually think it's yellow Kool-Aid that he drinks. So, so where'd you go to high school? I went to Salt Lake School for the Performing Arts. I don't know if you've heard of that. Uh, yes. Okay, awesome. What what was had my mom's hey, friend's the, daughter went there. What's the mascot for that school? It's a Harlequin. Harlequin. Because <gasps> I don't know that. That's awesome. cool. <laughs> See, that's important to know. We, everybody says we know way Apparently, too Apparently, we have schools, a thing but... about high school mascots when people tell us and we're like, oh, you're the, 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 the whatever. Mm-hmm. Like, so, how do yeah, you know that? Politics. But we didn't know that one. Yeah. Well, there you go. I studied ballet for four years. <laughs> so who who did we have just a few weeks ago who was the ballet guy? Uh, he's Greg, and he's got a beard. A yeah, fancy beard. It's, it's uh, the Fisher Brewing Greg. Yeah. yeah. No. But he, Shades no, of Pale. Shades of Pale. Sorry, Shades that's right. But he studied... <laughs> Ballet for like ten years, what and was and professional, and, yeah. And what was it, the Michigan Ballet Company? The- and and now he poses his beard and like awesome shit 
runs oh. a, a beard society a beard and and is national. a distribution manager. Well, Shades see, the world is all yeah. complex, and gender was a scam after yep. all. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so you go there. What? So you graduate from there? Then what? Um, I graduate from there. Um, I started the March for Our Lives movement when I was 17 and was about to get out of there. Um, and after that, I go straight into electoral politics. So I got hired onto Congressman Ben McAdams' campaign. I got elected as the president of the College Democrats of Utah. Um, and after that, I kind of just worked for the DNC and I worked for the DCCC and I worked for the Congressman Ben McAdams campaign. Um, and now I, and then I also went to the University of Utah, um, studying business. So. So are you yeah, still at you or are you done? I am still at you. I'm a junior now. Mm-hmm. Nice. Oh, so is my so, daughter. And my daughter. Oh, awesome. Yeah. They're juniors. Maybe yeah. I know them. What are their names? I don't have a daughter. Maya you Gates. don't have a daughter. <laughs> Maya Gates. Oh, I don't think I know. I'm I, sorry. I doubt they... It's a ginormous college. It's a, yeah. it's a huge college. 30,000 plus. And my daughter's studying uh, psychology. psychology so. Unless they're like in the school of business, yeah. Yeah. there's not a good chance. Yeah. Right, right. But, but, <laughs> definitely. It's so. funny that you guys are all... Or if, like, you hang out in the sorority crowd or something like that, you might know. I did. I, I started. We're going to talk about that. My daughter is in a sorority. Yes. She's, she's, like, We're really going to talk about your article. Oh, you yes. read my article about I sororities. Sure I kind of exposed sororities, I so let's sh- talk about it. Well, so, so I have my SEU mask on because my oldest daughter, um, who graduated this last year, she joined a sorority that was actually very good. Speak up. Oh, that's awesome. What sorority does she join? What was it? Delta, uh, no. Delta Gamma Gamma? Delta Psi, are you talking about Cassie or yes, Sean? Yes, Cassie. Delta Psi Omega. Yes. Okay, and awesome. it is, like, it's really awesome. Like, you see pictures of them. It's very diverse. It's not a typical sorority. It, it, it wasn't. It wasn't at all. It was okay. Perfect. She ended up the president of it, and she made, like, in fact, she moved to Denver with one of the girls. And I, like, those girls, they all went and supported each other at graduation, even in COVID times. Like, yeah. They, it was not a traditional sorority. So my youngest daughter was like, well, I'm going to the U because she went to Dixie and they don't have sororities. And she's like, I, I want to join a sorority. And I'm like, it's not going to be the same. She's like, but I want to. <laughs> so she did. And she's like, it's not the same. It's uh-huh. not the same. Yeah. <laughs> well, they're, they're miserable in most places. I've written an, I've written an article all about it. So <laughs> yeah, I don't know. I used to be in sorority life and it was not the best experience. You want to talk about my article? <laughs> no, I, I, well, I was reading through it and, and just how you were introduced to the sorority and how you felt, um, like normal in there just for a minute until I assume that it was just one particular person that was making comments regarding pronouns. Or was it? Yeah, it was kind of like this whole thing where I was kind of warned about sororities. And then once I got in and I went through that experience and I went through the entire official bureaucratic experience of sororities um, is when I kind of experienced all the things they were warning me about. Um, and I was friends with sorority girls and we, it was amazing. And we went to fraternity parties every single weekend. Um, but then once you kind of like get through the kind of like bureaucratic procedure and you have to deal with all that, that's kind of where it becomes shitty. And it's like, look, I kind of don't want to do this. <laughs> we had, well, I, I was just like really touched by, you talking about like the definition and the, you know, having, having slip ups on, on pronouns and, and it being understandable when it's done by accident. But this particular person like wasn't Purposeful. doing that. And, you know, and like obviously we're a room full of cisgender people and we had, um, Nick Artiega on from Utah Pride Center, of, um, 
just like a month ago now. I don't know. Time goes really fast. And we had this conversation about, you know, how we, how we constantly need to be checking ourselves and noticing those problematic conversations, you know, to work to change that, that verbiage and that, and that's okay to be like, you know, like, what do you prefer? What do you go by? And it just was aggravating to me that this person, even though they knew you and you were interacting with them, didn't feel like they could, you know, call you by who you are. And, yeah. and that was just, and then, and, and I just, I'm going to read your last statement because as an ally, like I just, I really loved it. Um, you wrote the most impactful allyship is allyship that's unapologetic. Um, to this day, supporting a trans woman of color is incredibly beyond the social norm. People are terrified of losing their social capital and prospect of possible, of possibly facing ostracization of their own if they're to come out in support of trans women, especially trans women of color. And that just like, like I hate that we're still in that space and I don't know if we'll ever get out of that, but just like th- for you to write, that was so powerful. Well, thank you. I think it's interesting because, you know, I as a young person am kind of, going through this political moment where trans people are not just like the largest political discussion here in America, but across the world. And it's interesting to see, you know, like the conversation has shifted a lot, even since I've written that article. Um, and people have become even more conscious since I wrote that and published that, um, you know, especially since we were one of the most um, significant and talked about um platforms in the Democratic race this past election cycle. Um, every single Democratic candidate had trans people as a part of their official Democratic uh, platforms as a policy, um, which we have never seen before in American history. Um, so it's interesting how this conversation is shifting, and it's interesting to see how the world is shifting for us. Um, and I think it's, it's it, and I think it, is, it speaks to, you know, what Dr. Angela Davis said. She said that you know, trans people, the trans movement has allowed us to see that abolition is possible. Um, and I think that, um, I agree with that, you know, entirely. And I think it's, it's, it's incredible to see what our movement has been able to do, um, just in such little time since we've become mainstream. And is that, so I, I, um, tweeted out today that, um, well, actually, first to go back, how incredible to have, um, a president and vice president elect verbally recognize an, an acceptance speech, the trans community. That was so amazing. Wow. It was incredible. You know, um, it was exciting to see and exciting to kind of see them finally talk about um, violence against our community, um, which is something that nobody ever wants to talk about. Um, and it was, it was in, you know, he, he tweeted that out just like days before election day. So to see that was incredible because it's like he kind of just almost didn't care about political capital. Nobody really gains political capital from coming out in support of us. If anything, it's the exact opposite, which is what I wrote about in the article. Right. Um, and so it was incredible to see that. Um, I have a lot of critiques about, um, vice president and president elect, um, but, you know, I think that was incredible to see, uh, for sure. That's okay. We should all have critiques. That's how, yeah. we, that's how we watch them grow is by having yeah. those critiques. <laughs> no, definitely. But it's about, you know, keeping not just language, but policy as well um, to follow that. So, yeah, definitely. So in less than 50 days, we get to see them put that into action. Yeah, definitely. It's going to be interesting. So how was I... I... I'm always interested, um, you know, in, in people from different, you know, different backgrounds and different cultures. Are, are you and your parents still practicing Baha'i? 
I am not. I'm an atheist now. <laughs> oh, so is my daughter. Okay, amazing. <laughs> Most of us are. Most Gen Z is. Um, but my parents are. My parents are very religious, and they're still practicing it to this day. So how did, I mean, how did your parents um, take the, you know, the the decision that, that you know, the expression of, of you being who you are, you know, obviously that, that happened over time. You know, how, how did they react to that or how do they react to that? Um, well, my parents had different reactions. My dad was incredibly supportive from day one. Um, he was like, you know, you do you, uh, and don't listen to anyone. I support you, which was great to hear from my dad. My mom, however, was not. My mom's very religious. She's a Trump supporter. She was wholeheartedly behind Trump the entire time. Um, and she kind of did not, um, experience that, which is not to say that Trump supporters, I dated a Trump supporter. So we'll, we can get into that too. <laughs> um, but, um, yeah, she did not support it. Um, you know, her initial reaction was to kick me out of the house. It was, to um, kind of really um, almost, you know, really be hateful to me toward in, in my own household as a young person because I came out really young. I came out my sophomore year of high school. Um, and um, her reaction was not a good one, but it's kind of been a slow lo- learning process for her. Um, and her and I's relationship now is, you know, it's incredible. But um, for her, it's taken some time and it wasn't this kind of like a natural thing as it was for my dad. So... That's that's interesting. I, I always like to hear how parents interact with that because, I mean, you know, that story of, you know, one of your parents wanting to throw you out or even throwing you out, that's not uncommon. Uh, that's really common, in fact, in the trans community. Oh, yeah. It happens a lot. Oh, absolutely. And I even talk about in other articles that I published about how the early days of my organizing work was about, um, you know, organizing amongst LGBTQ homeless people. Um, who were young LGBTQ homeless people and how the nonprofit industrial complex basically did not help them and incredibly neglected them. Um, so yeah, it's, it is, it is a very real issue amongst our community. When my daughter was, um, what was, it was, was it her senior year that Maddie? No, it was before then. I mean, but that was the official, that was the official year. So, um, my daughter had what, who we thought was a gay friend. Um, but actually turned out to be transgender from um, female to male. Mm-hmm. And they went to Juan Diego, which you would think might be a problem. But no, at the end of the year, because he started the year out with the name. I think I think his name was Madeline. He went by Maddie, but he changed it to just be Matty, you know, with T's. Um, they put up photos with his name as Matt at Juan Diego Catholic high school and supported him and let him change his uniform to the male uniform and all of, all of that stuff. When I saw, in fact, it's doing it again. When I saw that it brought tears to my eyes that his parents supported him very well. And then the school also, um, you know, supported him in that way. Did your, like, how was it for you in school? Cause that's, that's, I mean, it's not like you, you got to just like leave a job and then start another job, <laughs> yeah. a, a different gender, you know, or something like that. You're, yeah, you know, my school, um, was incredibly queer. Um, over 40% of our population was LGBT. Um, and so for us, it was incredible because we were incredibly accepting and it was almost natural in my environment that I was in because 
nobody really assumed that I was straight or cis. Um, and it was, it was great to see because my school, not just the students, but the staff were also, um, really, really accepting. And it was just like this natural thing for them. I also worked at the Pride Center during high school. So I was just in an incredibly gay environment, um, at all times, which was, you know, it kind of empowered me as a young person, um, to kind of be in those environments because it, it just normalized it for me and it made me realize, you know, there was so much more to life than just, um, what, awful experiences I may have gone through. So I think that also helped you be able to, uh, you know, as an activist, um, have those privileges to help see the non-privileged and bring those in and see how you can help because, you know, Utah is known for, as you're talking about our, our homeless rates, our young suicide rates, you know, that's, it's real. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And it also allowed me to imagine a world where, you know, people were accepting and it was normalized and it was something that wasn't really thought about as this negative. Um, so I think that my high school really did that for me. And it was, it was really, um, incredible because it kind of set the tone for what I want my world around me to be. Speaking of your world, I want to know how you went from ballet dancer to politics. Well, <laughs> <laughs> well, it started when I because came Because there out. are politics in ballet dancing. Let's be honest. There is. That. There's a lot of politics in it. And that's kind of why I decided to leave. I was like, I don't like ballet politics, politics. Um, but you know, for me, it was when I came out, it was kind of during this time where, you know, trans students, trans students using restrooms in school, um, were, was incredibly politicized. I was in the middle of all that as a young trans person in high school. Um, and so I was kind of almost pushed into it. I was pushed into it because I was being incredibly politicized. Um, and I did not know how to deal with it other than organize. So what I did was that I attended queer prom the year I came out. Um, and that's how I came out to my parents was they saw my prom pictures. <laughs> um, and, um, after that, you know, I reached out to the pride center and I was like, look, this is something that I kind of want to organize myself, um, is queer prom. So I got involved with organizing queer prom. And from that, um, I, I, I kind of, um, you know, not just organized queer prom, but met this incredible collective of queer and trans, um, mutual aid young organizers. Um, and from there, it's kind of where it just took off. You know, I, I, um, organized with them. We were all about mutual aid work. You know, activism back then does not look like what kind of activism looks like now. Back then, it was all about doing mutual aid work for our communities. Um, it was about us, like, you know, creating, um, different free classes for sexual education amongst our communities. It was about us handing out free condoms, free, um, sexual aid supplies for our communities. It was about us, um, helping and, um, you know, really organizing for homeless people amongst us, homeless, um, young LGBT people. And, you know, I worked in that collective and we were just this awesome, cool, radical group of young queer and trans people for, for a couple of years. And then that's kind of when I went straight into March for Our Lives. Um, and you did that with Saida, right? She was, she, yeah, she was a part of that. Mm -hmm. Yeah, she was. She was incredible. Um, and we did that. And, you know, after that's kind of just when I went straight into electoral politics. Um, the, the folks that I knew in my, um, initial collective that I started organizing in is kind of also the group that I, um, that led into March for Our Lives as well. We knew a couple of them and that's kind of how we all organized that as well. So, yeah. Can you define, like, you're using the term political activism, like, what would you tell somebody that is, that might be listening, that doesn't know, 
I don't, I don't know. Let's think of those two terms together, even though <laughs> they should go hand in hand. <laughs> well, I think a political activist is about, you know, the betterment of our community and thinking about the betterment of the collective. Um, it's not about necessarily being a politician. I think for me, those are two different things. Um, I think it's more so about, you know, imagining a world and really organizing to reach a world where all of us are collectively free and, um, f- for the better. Um, and so I think in my definition, that's what a political activist is. I can see why you wanted to work for Ben McAdam. <laughs> <laughs> well, so, yeah. So I'm, I'm curious. Um, you know, we've talked to Saida about March for Our Lives. Um, I'm really curious how a person that is involved in March for Our Lives then starts uh, a pro-gun rights or is involved wow. heavily in a pro-gun <laughs> rights group. It was not a two-day process, I'll tell you that. Because <laughs> that's a pretty big shift, and it's not... Yeah. I mean, it, what, obviously it's not overnight, but it's still within a couple of years, so I'm kind of curious how that how that transition looked for you and, like, you know, what, what drove you to that, that change? Yeah, you know, well, during my time in the gun violence prevention movement, I worked very closely with politicians um, while, I, while I was still doing mutual aid work for very specifically the trans community and very specifically trans women of color. Um, during this time, I realized that violence against our community was ever growing um, and it was continuously growing and nothing was being done about it. Um, you know, trans women of color were getting violently slaughtered and violently attacked in restrooms on a daily basis. And a lot of these politicians who I was working closely with in the gun violence prevention movement not only didn't do anything, they were often um, giving, letting the attackers go with a slap on the wrist. Um, and, you know, for me, it kind of was a wake-up call over years and years of dealing with that, seeing them, you know, um, claim that they want safety, claim that they want a world where we are peaceful and we are safe, but simultaneously not doing anything about the violence that my community was facing. Um, and that was like a huge wake up call for me because I was like, you know, these politicians don't really care. And not only do they not care, they're also asking to disarm this very community that they're, that they're, um, not protecting. Um, and so that's kind of when I decided, you know what, this kind of March for Our Lives isn't aligned with what I want to do. Um, I want my community to be safe. I want us to be able to protect ourselves. We have a history uh, where we are not able to call the police, where the police do not help LGBTQ people. And if anything, they they assist with the violence against us. Um, and so for me, I realized that, you know, uh, these people who are calling for strict um, gun control are, are privileged people often. They are upper class They know they can call the cops and the cops will always side with them. Um, And they know that they have this extra layer of safety that many of us who are um, poor, working class, people of color, visibly trans don't have. Um, And, you know, I also realized that in order for us to empower ourselves and to protect ourselves, we have to put our protection in our own hands. Um, It's not something the police is doing. It's not something the state is doing. And, um, if, if we continue on this route of gun control, then the only people who are going to be able to access guns are elitist, the states and criminals who, who don't care and who are also the ones attacking us. Um, and so that's kind of how I came to this realization was I was living in these two different worlds of, you know, going back and forth between gun violence prevention organizing, but simultaneously having to deal with, um, 
the ever-growing violence against my community. Knowing that 350 trans people have been murdered this year in the world, that's definitely, I can see how that's a conflict. Of- yeah, no, definitely, for sure. Um, and it was even more of a conflict, you know, because school shootings had stopped and we weren't experiencing shootings, even though I was stuck in one myself. <laughs> um, and, but that was continuing. So, yeah, definitely. I like that you just like laugh out that you're like stuck in a school shooting. <laughs> I, you know, it wasn't a school shooting. It was a mall shooting, but it was. You were at, were yeah. you at Charlie? Um, no, I was at Fashion Place. Uh, so. I was there as well. You were there too. You were yes. stuck there. Okay. I actually had just barely <laughs> left right as, like, right, it had happened right as I like pulled out of the parking lot. Oh, awesome. No, I was actually stuck in a supply closet for two hours <laughs> <laughs> while it was happening. And then SWAT team came and escorted me out. Right. Oh. Uh, so so it was I was awful. just thinking about what that the other day because I work I work at fashion place. Oh, you do. I was, I was thinking about that the other yeah. day. So, so, so what? I mean, what is so different? I mean, I understand the the LGBTQ component of pink pistols. Other than that, what is the other you know driving difference between that and an organization like say the NRA? Um, you know, the NRA is an organization that cares about big money in politics. They love to um, keep pumping politics and politicians' wallets with big money to influence um, how our political system works, how our laws work, how policy is structured. Um, we who are leftists don't believe in that, even though we who are leftists also believe in arming ourselves. Um, because, you know, we don't agree with big money in politics. We want money to be, we want politics to be uh, people powered. Um, but we do believe in arming ourselves, which is the NRA doesn't believe in that. The NRA is very kind of like unapologetically, yeah, we pay politicians and so what? <laughs> so yeah, that's kind of what I would say is like the key difference between us. Pink Pistols was started after the Pulse nightclub shooting um, or was, was that before? It was actually 10 years before. Oh, wow. So okay. yeah. Um, so it was started, t- uh, tw- 10 or 14 years before. Um, and it was, it was because of like hate crimes against us. And, um, and you know, it was incidents like Matthew Shepard that happened and all these different incidents that had happened in America. Um, it was kind of where pink pistols was born out of. So, so I, I have some questions about gun control because I'm Tell not, uh, I'm, I'm very much pro, pro guns. Awesome. Um, I'd love to hear it. But I'm not pro guns to everyone anytime, anytime they want them. Well, I, I disagree. So let's chat. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'll, I'll tell you, I'll tell you my thoughts. Okay. I, I think the, the biggest issue with guns is no one's actually trained well on them. Mm-hmm. Uh, I say no one. That's a broad generalization, right? There are some people that are in, in my high school in rural Wyoming. We had gun safety courses. It really, it was hunter safety courses that, that were offered um, at least a couple of days uh, that were offered to everyone free of charge. That's not something that happens in Salt Lake. You know, that's not something that happens in a city or in a lot of communities. That just was something that, you know, I was lucky enough to be exposed to. But I, a gun is such a dangerous implement and, and serves really one purpose, which is to kill something. You know, we have to have a license and insurance to drive a car. We have to have insurance if we want to own a home. We have to, you know, have licenses to do all sorts of things in this, this life, regulated stuff. What's, what's the problem with having the same sort of requirement to own a gun? You know, for me, it's about um, laws aren't going to change that because the people who are committing these violent crimes with guns and killing people and committing mass shootings and so on and so forth um, largely are doing it illegally, are largely doing it by accessing weapons illegally, um, are largely by doing it, um, 
you know, they, they're killing people and they're hurting people with guns. They don't give a shit about the law. Can I swear on this podcast? <laughs> okay. They don't give a shit about the law. You know, they've already decided that they're going to break the law. So adding these laws are is not going to stop those criminals. The only thing it's going to do is make it harder for the everyday working class law abiding citizen. But what about the what about the five year old kid that finds his dad's handgun and, and shoots someone with for it me, because the dad didn't lock it up properly? Or... Yeah, you know, for me that's not a legislative uh issue. For me that's not about let's take AR fifteens away the way that March for Our Lives is asking. For me, I think that we should implement these um communal initiatives that will help prevent those kinds of things. Um, you know, I worked on the mayor of Salt Lake City's Gun Violence Prevention Commission, and we did great work on that commission because we were um, coming up with community-based solutions, which in my opinion were solutions that would actually, actually prevent those kinds of situations. You know, let's talk about, um, you know, free and, and widespread uh, gun education. Let's talk about how we can get folks lockboxes. Let's talk about how we can buy lockboxes for our communities. Um, let's talk about those things and let's talk about safe safety when it comes to guns and not just being silly nilly with them. Um, but restrictive legislation is not going to do that. Um, restrictive legislation is not the answer to um, prevent that from happening. It's more so of a community based initiative that needs to happen. So so what's the difference between, you know, a drunk driver that doesn't care about the fact that there is a DUI law and that there is a limit in alcohol consumption getting behind the wheel of a car and, and a criminal holding a gun? Well, see, the difference between those two things are, yes, we do have certain things that people have to go through in order to access a vehicle. Um, but, you know, those things, it, it, it's, it's almost like, you know, we do have to do those things in order for people to drive. You know, when you are driving, you don't necessarily, you can't do it if you are, you know, a 12 year old child. You can't do it if you can't see. You can't do it if you, um, are, you know, have an alcoholic problem or anything like that. Um, but I, I believe, and I think those of us who are pro Second Amendment believe that anybody should have the right to protect their life. Um, that is something that should be afforded to any and, and every single one of us. Um, and, you know, a weapon is, 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 in my opinion, a firearm is something that's going to be able to do that for us. Um, I think that's a right that everyone should be able to have. You can just run over people with your car. Right. And I, like, personally, I don't you know. think, I, personally, I don't think I should have a gun until I learn how to use it. Yeah. Just because I'm more dangerous to you mm-hmm. as By not someone knowing. who does not know how to use a gun. Yeah. Now, I've shot a gun. We want to get a gun. But as we were there to purchase the gun, Chris had to keep reminding me, it's empty and he's checked it and we very clearly know it is. But you are not stop pointing safe. it at him. Like right. stop waving like, the gun it, it, in his it, direction. <laughs> so I totally get what you're saying because, like I said, I have a daughter that is exactly your age. Mm-hmm. I don't think the restrictions that we're talking about are restrictions like you can't have one because you're transgendered, but more along the lines of have you at least had some sort of? Because I really yeah. don't want. Just a fresh 18-year-old kid who maybe has lived in a city all their lives and has never even seen a gun to be able to just go in, buy a gun, get some ammo, and walk out of the store. Because if they choose to do something stupid, that endangers my life. Just like I don't want some kid who doesn't, who hasn't had driver's ed to just get behind the wheel of a car just because they, simply because they turned 16. Oh, absolutely. You know, from, from, and for me, it's about, you know, let's talk about how we can educate people on gun ownership. And I absolutely believe in safe gun ownership. And so does Pink Pistols officially as an organization. Um, but in regards to, you know, 
you, you say, well, we're not saying you can't have a gun or we're going to take away your guns. But the question is, who exactly is we, right? Um, the gun lobby in many ways actually is. And March, March for Our right. Lives actually as an official organization is, um, excuse me, the gun control lobby. Um, the gun control lobby has gotten to a point where they are uh, uh, convincing politicians right. such as Biden and Beto O'Rourke to go on the national stage and say, Absolutely, we're going to take your AR-15s away. It's never going to happen. Exactly. And for me, I like my <laughs> AR-15, you know, and my AR-15 protects me. I don't want to experience violence. Um, I don't want to experience um, continuous sexual assault. I don't want to experience these things. Um, and I want to have something that's an equalizer, which is, in my opinion, a gun when it comes to strength and when it comes to, um, you know, being able to protect my life. Um, and the, the gun control lobby is not wanting that. The gun control lobby is absolutely saying, you either want to ban assault weapons or you, you want to ban, um, AR-15s or it's, 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 it's a no-go. You're, you're just trying to, um, you're, you're just trying to go against the gun control mo- movement if you don't. So I have a question about the AR-15 and you say it protects your life. It's not protecting you right now, but you could have a handgun that would. Like, how often are you carrying your AR-15 around that it's actually, like, are you carrying it around on campus? Um, no, because right. the laws in the state. Right. But I'm just saying, but I'm just saying, like, okay, you have clearly gone and learned how to use it. So if you're walking around on campus with my daughter, I'm probably okay with that. But I don't want my daughter walking around with it because she doesn't know how to clean her <laughs> room. You and know, she'd shoot you in two seconds yeah. just by accidentally see, doing something. And that's the thing is like, you know, let's actually talk about a culture of what gun safety looks like. But that culture is not going to be cultivated and built no. if we're going to demonize guns and go on national television and say, I'm, of course, I'm taking your AR-15 away. So, but do you think people are patient enough to learn that education? No. Because I, I think the education is super important. I don't, you know, I don't need to carry an AR-15. I'm okay carrying a handgun that can protect me just as quickly as, I mean, well, the AR-15 would be quicker, but, um, <laughs> but it's also bigger. I'm a, I'm a small person. So, um, but I just don't think that if you, you know, it might, maybe it's easier in the LGBTQ community, which is what Pink Pistols is focusing on. They're more willing to take that opportunity to be educated. But if your group went out to, you know, um, lower class, middle class white men and said, Hey, you're carrying those around. Let us teach you how to safely carry those around. I feel there would just be a lot of like <laughs> tension and like, we got this. Well, and, I think and, a lot of the tension. Oh, well, no, go ahead. Okay. I just well, gonna, I think, <laughs> I just gonna say the license, I think is more like the reason he likens it to a car is a, a, a car license to drive a car. All you have to do is. Be 16 and have taken classes. Right. And I think in the way that we're talking about licensing is, let's say you have to be 16 and have taken classes. I think that's more along the lines of what we, we in this room, not necessarily like everybody outside this room are talking about when we talk about getting a license for it, just more to just make sure, because just like before the mask mandate, be a good citizen and put your mask on. Nobody did that. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Because as much as we want to think that people are, are kind and thinking of others in America, that's just not the case. We are all about I, me so, first. You know, it's so let me answer those two points first. <laughs> so, um, <laughs> Uh, so to answer your point, um, absolutely, you know, and this is kind of like where the middle ground is where you say, 
I'm not talking about restrictive gun controls like New Zealand has, but let's talk about what it looks like for us to require classes, right? That's, I think, is a middle ground where we can say, okay, that's totally fine. Um, the problem that we're facing is that, and as we've seen it with March for Our Lives and the gun control lobby, is that um, they're not asking for that. Largely, a lot of the things that they are asking for will lead to places like New Zealand and Canada, where it's almost impossible to access guns for working class people. Um, you know, I don't want my AR-15 to be taken away. Um, I don't want you to talk about um, banning AR-15s. To me, that's incredibly um, authoritative. It's taking away uh, many aspects of my protection and freedom. Um, and so... I like this middle ground of like, let's require classes. Like, let, can we do that? Of course. Let's, let's talk about that. We do but it for CCWs. Yeah, exactly. But, um, the gun control lobby, I think largely is not asking for that. And I think a lot of their demands is, um, you know, it's, it's incredibly, um, it's not practical, A. Um, and it's also incredibly restrictive to the freedoms and protections of working class Americans, in my opinion. So, I mean, I, I think I don't want to harp on guns much longer, but it's fine. It's fun to have someone in the, in the room that is passionate about it and can talk about it. But I think what you talk about with the gun lobby versus NRA, you know, the, the March for Our Lives movement, the anti-gun lobby, they're in the extremes of, of either side. And I think mm-hmm. that's by and large the problem we have politically in this country right now is no one's willing to talk about that middle ground. You have to be one or the other. And the second you say, well, I, I want some kind of restriction for guns, it's automatically, let's take all the guns away. That's, that's not it at all. Well, for I me, I would be, I would say that in many ways, I am radical. I'm very, <laughs> very far left in many ways. Um, I don't believe in capitalism. I believe we need to abolish capitalism. I don't believe in, um, trans rights. I believe we need to abolish gender. I don't believe in prison reform. I believe we need to abolish prisons. So a lot of people would call me that. Um, but in regards to, you know, guns, um, I would see how like these middle grounds would make sense because nobody wants people to die. Nobody, everybody in America agrees that there's a mass shooting problem and we need to fix that. Um, but I think it's just how we think about these solutions is incredibly different. Um, and there are two different extremes. Um, but in, in, in the gun debate, I would, I would actually agree. Let's kind of like, let's see where we can meet in the middle and let's not talk about stripping my guns away and let's not talk about giving two year olds rifles. Yeah. I mean, to, to be clear, anyone that thinks we will actually remove all the guns out of this country is fucking crazy town. It's not going to happen. It's ingrained in our way of life. It's it's how we formed as a nation. We just added it to the Utah Constitution. But <laughs> beyond that's hunting. That's hunting. Yeah, but, but, but it's hunting, a gun. Yeah. It's a gun right. But but beyond beyond that, there are more guns in this country than there are people. People like to talk about Australia and how Australia got rid of guns. They banned all guns, and everyone turned in their guns. That's not possible here. It will no. never happen. There are over. 350 million guns in this country. They're not going away. And it shouldn't happen, in my opinion. And and, and so, to, I mean, to, to go down that route of let's get rid of all guns, you're you're absolutely in Crazyville. It'll 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 never happen. But there is there is a middle ground. There is a there is a place that we can do it. And you know the argument like, well, if you start educating kids in high school, what about all the people above that? Well, who gives a shit? That that generation has to eventually wear <laughs> off and die off. It, it's true. Like you, you, start, also, you like, have to start somewhere, and you mm-hmm. can't say we can't start here yeah. because we miss this group of people. Right. But it's also about you know I think it's about how those kinds of gun safety measures and gun violence prevention measures on a communal level um, 
are marketed. I think in many ways, when March for Our Lives markets it, it seems as though it's like incredibly um, restrictive and they're kind of challenging gun owners. Um, but when someone like me comes along and says, hey, you know, let's talk about how we can give free classes um, to teach our community members like Pink Pistols is doing. Um, that's a whole nother conversation. And that's kind of like something where folks are more open to, um, that kind of, um, you know, conversation and sit down. Um, but when March for Our Lives comes in and says, you know, let's actually demand classes and let's demand and let's legislatively mandate. Um, I think that's where folks are kind of like, they don't like that disconnect because they're, they're like, how words. far? They're trigger words. Yeah, they're trigger words. And they're like, how far can this go? You know, what if we end up having to go through a 50 page process like New Zealand? And um, that's what folks are kind of scared of. So. Makes sense. Makes sense. I I honestly don't think that it would ever get that far either with as many people that own guns that it that it would. I think it would still lean way more toward gun leniency. Do you think so? I do. (laughs) I see for me, it's like I've known folks that have been under states like the United Kingdom. Um, I recently interviewed with um, a gun publisher, gun magazine, and the the editor of that magazine was a part of, he lived in the UK and he left because the UK in a split second took away all his guns. Um, and he never thought that that was going to happen. So um, for me, I never want to live in this, in this notion that it, it could never happen. I always want to live in this notion that, you know, there is a possibility that it can happen and we've seen it happen. You know, it's, it's funny when we talk a little bit about regulation with guns, a lot of people forget that the first half of that amendment is about militias. Right. And that we have a right to have well-regulated militias, <laughs> yeah, um, to 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 be secure as a as a secure and free state. And they, people forget about that part of the Second Amendment. And guess what? You can't just fucking make it a, a militia. It's it's actually not legal, even though it's in the Constitution. It's not legal to just be like, hey, we got twelve dudes with guns on a. Well, why not? Thing. That's We're what pistols is. <laughs> <laughs> you actually have to go through a process to be considered a legal militia in this country. That is true, but also America kind of doesn't care. America is like, you know, we have our Second Amendment, so let's establish a militia. And to me, I don't think militias are bad. In my opinion, I think militias are a great way of communal safety and communal um, kind of. Um, uh, protection of our folks. That's terrifying. It is terrifying, <laughs> because, but it's also, you know, that's the radical position and a lot of liberals, liberal leftists are very different things if you didn't it, know. But it's not, it's not necessarily terrifying because I'm against militias, but I don't want the people that are coming after you to be able to form a militia that you have to protect yourself against yeah. and then form a militia because I don't want to start living in a place like we talked about like Iran or Iraq or places mm-hmm. where Everybody's at war with everybody and everybody has to carry around a gun. I'm, I'm fine with carrying around a gun. We, we've been looking into it and thinking about buying it. My, I have, you know, uh, relatives in law enforcement and in the military that, that have concealed guns all, all over the place. So it's not, it's not about that. I don't want to see the U.S. become a place where there's militias everywhere just because you think yeah. that you can create one. Well, and now I have to protect myself and I don't know if you're a dangerous person or not. Well, just, in, just randomly. You know, in my opinion, we already live in that world. Um, in my opinion. Be- and, and I get it because yeah. of who you are, but I don't think we need to create that world for everyone. I think it's better to try and ease into that middle and stay away. F- I think as much as you are, are proud of it and it's awesome and it's great. My daughters are the same way. They're very, um, to the extremes of everything. <laughs> extremes are bad. It's how we got Donald Trump into the presidency. Well, it's, you know, 
I don't think the extreme has ever gone anywhere. And the extreme has existed far before Donald Trump has. Um, right. You know, we America way, way, way before Donald Trump, we had militias such as um, white supremacist militias, such as the KKK. We also had the Black Panther Party. Let us not forget this. Right. Um, and this was how America always was. I don't think this ever went away. I think that it was concealed from um, maybe the mainstream for a while. Um, the Donald Trump administration kind of brought that out into the mainstream again. But the reality is for marginalized communities, this, this kind of world that you are describing is a world that many of us are already existing in continuously. Um, and we, we can never really imagine a world where we don't have to fight because we are continuously fighting. And when we bring up states like Iran that, that you mentioned, you know, like the difference is that Iran, you know, Regular people can't form militias like that. Like they have official militias and the state has militias, but regular people can't. And in my opinion, we need militias because, you know, uh, the, the, the proud boys and, um, all of those other kinds of like armed right wing groups, um, they don't care about the middle and they don't care about PowerPoints and they don't care about discussions. Um, you know, they, they want to be armed and they want to hurt us. And I think that we need to be able to combat that, um, beyond just, um, this hope that they will come to the middle. I think my my favorite militia right now that's that's pretty active is NFA NFAC, the Not Fucking Around Coalition, which is a <laughs> it's a group of armed like o- they open carry AR-15s. They're all people of color and they open carry AR-15s in protests across the country, mostly in the southeast. They're super. I mean, they've not had any problems with the police because they're they're on the up and up on everything that they do protest wise, but. They walk in, in, in full military gear with assault rifles and you better believe they're all probably loaded and ready to fire. So, well, there we go. But I, so I, I, I know we got like way off on a sidetrack there, but I, <laughs> it's not often we have someone in studio that's so passionate on, on one side or the other about something like gun control that, I mean, you have a freaking organization that you founded a chapter of here in, in Utah. So. Um, it's just really good to have that kind of conversation. So I think conversations are what help. That's one thing that I really like about this podcast is we can have these conversations. Yeah. And they're conversations and everybody gets to give their point of view. And I think it's awesome. Yeah. So how can people join your organization or become part of it if they're interested? Well, you can find us on Instagram. That's kind of where most folks are reaching us at. Um, it's just pink pistols, SLC and, Give us a DM and and please join us. We'd love to get you armed. So you, before we started um, recording, you talked about how it's mostly younger people, but you're still open to us old people. So tell us a little <laughs> bit about that. <laughs> yes, old people, please join. <laughs> um, but yeah, you know, the outreach that I kind of wanted was for it to be focused on younger folks. Um, and we have been successful at that. So you know, I said, let's, let's not just build a Facebook group. Let's do an Instagram page, which most pink pistol chapters don't have. So I was like, let's get onto platforms that young people are actually using. Um, so we've done, we've done a great job at that. We've been able to reach out to younger folks and they, a lot of them have been able to reach out to us and it's exciting to see. Um, and I'm glad that kind of outreach effort is, is successful. But yes, anybody can join old people. Please don't hesitate. <laughs> so is, that, is it just people in the community or anybody can join? Um, you know, it is LGBTQ focused. So you do have to be an ally. You do have to believe in two things, which is you have to be pro LGBT and pro arming LGBT people and pro second amendment. So those are really our only two requirements. 
But you can be old like us. I'll be old. <laughs> you can be old and just pro people. That's probably okay too. Yeah. So, how many people do you have? So, is it you're the Utah chapter, and it's part of a larger organization? I'm assuming. Mm-hmm. So yeah, so we're we're the chapter here in the state, and um, Pink Pistols is a national organization, actually, um, with over eighteen thousand plus members and growing. Um, and so. We, it's a national organization. We founded the Utah chapter. We have about, um, 30 active members who are like fully engaged, wanting to be a part of everything that we do. Um, and we have about like around 400 members who are like kind of engaged with us on social media, but are kind of also uh, not so active just because life gets in the way. Um, so yeah, it's been, it's been growing. So do you get together often? Is it mostly social media or how do you kind of run your organization? Yeah. So, uh, we do get together. We have, um, range days where we will bring in folks who are like professional trainers, um, have been in the works for a long time and, you know, they, they train our members. They also give some insight to our members, um, we also have educational sessions where our members are able to kind of like zoom in on Zoom and they're able to, uh, you know, listen to folks that have been training for a long time and just have a sit down conversation with our with our leader organization's leadership. So I yeah. have a very serious question now. Ask Where him. the fuck do you find ammo right now? <laughs> That's a great, I was about to ask you. Where do you find ammo? Because ammo is non-existent. Yeah, it's, you know, it's even when find. we go to the gun ranges, they're like, we can only give you a box. Yep. <laughs> That's it. And I'm like, you know, and I was like, it's so funny because the first time I went, I was like, wait, why can you give me only a box? And they're like, well, because of gun control activists. And I was like, all right, well, that was me. Uh, yeah. Well, <laughs> I know mean, it's just a, a so shortage. A it's just, shortage. No, it, well, it is because there's a ban on them. So it's like hard to get. And there's also a shortage. Yeah, a lot of so, people bring up. Yeah, well, like I, mean, paper. I mean, the, rea- <laughs> the reality is the ammo shortage, always in an election year, guns and ammo sell a lot. A lot. Doesn't fucking matter who's who's up for election, always in an election year. But COVID in particular, so ammo was already pretty scarce. Like it, it wasn't impossible to get, but it was it was not the supply was not meeting demand by any stretch of the imagination. And then when COVID hit in March, ammo had a run and the shelves went bare. And now, basically, the only time you can get ammo is if you know the day it's arriving at a store. You gotta learn how to make your own. Yep. They, that's even running out. Even that's running out. Oh. You can't even find this stuff to make your own. And every, every store. When we say that we've been looking into guns, we're, we're not kidding. Like, we've been yeah. looking into guns and what, what. It's tough. Yeah. We need some ammo. America, please get us some more ammo. Well, you know, we have an ammo factory down yeah. in, like, uh, Utah or Just Sandy before County. you get to Nephi. Yeah, just before Nephi, oh. there's a big ammo factory. Well, then why uh-huh. is it taking forever? I don't understand. It, it, the, it, the demand, the demand the is outrageous. It is really, really well, hard to find especially ammo. Especially this time of year right now, you have hunting season and then anybody who gets somebody a gun for christmas wants to get them ammo too yeah all so right you take all of those factors into it so right mm-hmm. now is like the worst time of year to try to find ammo yeah and my 556 five, ammo it's so hard to get it's like well, 556 five, was hard to get before it's a weird caliber it is a caliber yeah it's weird it's, <laughs> well, it's hard to get it's so it's really tough. normal like 44s right now it's about 50 dollars a box of 20 yeah nine millimeters like impossible if you want nine millimeters, two seventy is the only thing that I've been able to find. I don't yeah, do nine millimeters. If, so. if you have weird, shitty calibers like fifty nine or something, they, they have some of that. Yeah, good or seventeen. There's like, yeah, there's like, but there's still not even. There's a still lot only of that. like seven or eight mm-hmm. boxes, but yeah. they got it. 
It's yeah. tough. We're, I don't know. You know, I go to Sportsman's and Sportsman's says, we're going to have to do it online. I think people are having more success online. Yeah, so. I've, I've looked online and been able to find some. And thankfully in the state of Utah, you can buy it online and have it shipped to you. So. Okay, awesome. Well, that's but not your alcohol because heaven, no, forbid, heaven forbid you get a bottle of wine, but it's okay if you get a box of bullets. <laughs> that's not true though. The state of Utah, the, the, the liquor stores are actually looking at ways to do online sales. True. If with, you buy it by the case. No, yeah. no. Nope. <laughs> with with you, you drive up and pick it up, but you can do it online. So, oh, do you believe me if I say I've never been under the influence? Good for yeah? you. Yeah, yeah. Okay, good. <laughs> I've yeah. never been under the influence. That's good. Good for you. Yeah, good for you. You you made it uh, without drinking before twenty one. Yeah. See, there we go. Good for you. <laughs> and I won't drink at twenty one either. So, so yeah. <laughs> stop for everyone, and I. It's for me. <laughs> i'm not a heavy drinker but there are some days like today where you leave at 5 30 and get home at 6 30 that a drink at the end of the day is very helpful so well, there we go so we know how people can get a hold of you i have one more question for you oh, before ahead. we let you go what is the most interesting or unique thing that you've discovered about utah in your time here because you've been here for a long time you know, what's interesting is that we kind of live in this predominant religious right-wing culture, but we also have a huge counterculture. So I will go to other states and I'll be like, do you guys not have like a massive queer and communist community here? And they'll be like, no, actually we don't. But good old Salt Lake City does. <laughs> um, and so that's like the weirdest thing is like there's these two different like counter um, worlds that are living with each other and they love to live with each other. Um, and so Utah is just weird that way, I think. Excellent. Excellent. I like that answer. That's a, <laughs> good answer. It's very real. Uh, thanks for joining us. It's of been course. a, a thanks great for conversation. Me. Thanks for putting up with our, uh, our, our old people ways. Our old people gun sessions. <laughs> <laughs> no worries. You guys are great. So you guys are some cool old people. Thank you to, uh, uh, or er, Maya? Or Maya. Yeah. I don't know. Like, I swear the to God. The way she said she it at first, me, it sounded like the R was at first. I, I, swear, it I thought it was a silent E. Like, I thought she said it was Ramaya, and I was like, okay, silent E. I'm not going to say anything about name spelling because we live in fucking Utah. Um, but it is a Persian name. Anyway, um, uh, Ermaya, thank you for, for joining us. That was a, a good conversation. I'm glad to get into it with someone that's, uh, you know, very firmly on one side or another and, and to be able to talk to someone who changed so dramatically. I was going to say that was, that was the biggest thing. That had I a think. big, I mean, it really yeah. like a polar opposite shift mm-hmm. from going from a, an organization that is very anti gun and wants to get rid of all the guns to uh, an organization that's like, we need to fucking arm ourselves. So, well, like I said during the interview, I, that's one thing I really like about this podcast is people can come and we can have a conversation about different points of views. And I really appreciate that. Yeah. Yeah. I think it's what, you know, we can have Burgess Owens call us Marxist. And I still think that was a really good interview. Um, I'm not, I, I came away from it going, I don't like this guy and <laughs> there's no way in hell I'd vote for him. You know, I don't think he's a great candidate uh, for, for Congress, but you know what? At, at the end of the day, it was still a good interview. It was still a good story to hear. Well, uh, who was your mayor guy that we interviewed? Skaggs. 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 Trent Skaggs. Yeah, like that was a that was one that actually made me in. Yeah, I voted for him. Yeah, yeah, and I actually got an email today that he has started um, a new organization called uh, Prosperity Utah, and so maybe we can have him back on to talk about that because it's cool. it's talking about um, things like affordable housing and homelessness and stuff like that. So yeah, I'd I'd be happy to have him on again. He's he was actually a really great interview. He was. We definitely don't see eye to eye on everything, but. 
he was just that interview and, and the discussion with him, you know, made me really think about, you know, who should we put in, in charge of Salt Lake County? Because there is a lot of bullshit that's going on. So, well, and once again, I'm glad that we can have guests that we don't always see eye to eye with. But most interviews, I walk away having a better understanding of where that person is coming from. And I enjoy our conversations. Well, that's really all we're ever asking for. So if, if you like that, or even if you don't, if you hated this fucking show, I don't care. Share the episode because that's what matters to Share us. Share with your mom. Um, you know, um, go out and uh, follow us on social media. We post a lot of stuff. Uh, I say we, it's all Jess. Jess posts a lot of stuff. She reposts a lot and of I stuff. And I mess things up. Yeah, Jeremy's not allowed on Twitter. Um, <laughs> he likes to make us underage children. Um, so <laughs> we're four. You notice COVID happened right after that. I think there's <laughs> something. <laughs> I'm pretty sure you. I'm pretty sure that's why it took so long to recover the account. That's probably why. Um. Anyway, uh, yeah. Follow us on social media. We're at TNU Podcast, uh, and then go out to our website. There's a lot of good stuff there. TheNewUtah.com. Um, pretty pretty easy website to to get to. Uh, and thanks. Um, we appreciate uh, all the time that you take to listen to our podcast. 